Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein, and I am so excited to be joined for this special year-end episode by my fellow Daily Beast writer, Laura Bradley. Welcome back, Laura. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we are back for the second consecutive year, counting down our picks for the funniest performances of the year. So I am so just thrilled to have you back on the podcast to do this because it was so fun last year. Yeah, it was. I'm really excited to be back. Uh, What was it like for you putting together the list this year? So it was not too hard. There was a lot of good comedy this year, I think. I mean, I think that when we did this in 2020, it was, I mean, for all kinds of reasons, obviously 2020 was an insane year. And I think it was a year that people were still trying to figure out how to be funny in our new world. Um, we were trying think, how to figure out how to be in yeah, our new world. Well, that's a good world. point. That first be and then be funny. But yeah, so I think there was there was definitely more stuff uh, that that I enjoyed, I think, that came out this year. And it was interesting because it was all stuff really, for the most part, made during the pandemic, I think, because people, you know, that's what we saw this year was stuff made last year. So yeah, there was there was a lot of good stuff. What about you? What what was it like for you to kind of look back and and think about what made you laugh this year? I'm not going to lie. I think the sort of weirdest part was realizing that some of these performances happened this year. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, I was thinking about like Jamie Dornan and Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. I'm sitting here like, did that come out this year? Or like Girls <laughs> 5 Eva, did that come out this yeah, year? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. my my sense of time is completely skewed. Uh, but I do agree. I feel like, I mean, I found that there was plenty to pick from last year, but I do feel as though there was even more to pick from this year, or at least definitely just as much. I was uh, struggling to narrow it down. Yeah, me too. So just so everyone listening knows, we we actually made top, 10 lists of our, our top 10 funniest performances of the year each that you can find on the Daily Beast website. And we'll put a link to that uh, page in this in the description for this episode as well. Um, but we're just going to go through our top fives on this episode. But before we get to our top fives, is there anything that you want to shout out from your, uh, your bigger list that you just want to highlight or any themes that you noticed or anything that you uh, <laughs> that, that it made you think about? I mean, honestly, I think my main shout out here would have to be to Oscar Isaac and his beard in Dune, (laughs) which did not make my top five, mostly because like half my reasoning for including it is just the amount that I laughed at the screening when he said desert power every time. It's very much a like laughing with him moment too. I just feel like you think, he, really, you think yeah. he, he was trying to be funny with desert power. You think? No, see, that's the thing is that I don't <laughs> think he was trying to be funny. I feel like a lesser actor would have looked at that line and tried to make it funny. I think he recognizes that it's inherently funny. And the best thing you can do is just commit a hundred percent. I just feel like that's essentially what he does <laughs> with the whole role is just like really throw himself into it with so much sincerity that I just, I lost it. I love that performance. Yeah. It's like that beard has desert power the beard has so much desert power the beard (laughs) is desert power Uh, what about you so yeah i mean i i was looking back and i think some listeners may know that uh, i had a baby this year with my wife uh, our first uh, child so that i think maybe turned me into an enormous uh, softy and i started watching all kinds of tv rom-coms which i feel like is a semi new genre in some ways because you know rom-coms obviously were a huge uh you know in the film world and now there's all these great tv rom-coms you know going back to something like Fleabag and, and stuff like that. But then this year, there was this show Starstruck that I loved and uh, Love Life season two, which I did not particularly like season one of Love <laughs> Life, but uh, I was really taken by season two. I thought it was really just smart and funny. Um, and then my new discovery oh, just over the last week was it's a discovery to me, but other people have been raving about it is The Sex Lives of College Girls, which is Mindy Kaling's latest show, which again, like her, that previous show she did, Never Have I Ever, maybe not my favorite thing that I had <laughs> seen her do um i know people do (laughs) love that show um but uh this one really got me uh the sex lies of college girls um so yeah there are performances uh in all of those that are on my uh, longer list um but didn't actually make it into the top five and then the other just one i wanted to shout out that i loved um 
that I watched both seasons of this past year, even though one came out earlier, was uh, the show Feel Good on Netflix, which didn't actually make my list, but I I, I love that show. And um, Mae Martin, who created it and stars in it, uh, is fabulous. Sex Lives of College Girls is one I'm very excited to dig more into. As I mentioned, I've seen a couple episodes, but I still haven't gotten a chance to finish it. And especially as a Never Have I Ever head, I am very excited to dig into another rom-com. See, I think if you like, if you liked Never Have I Ever, you should love Sex Lives of College Girls. That's I my take. I loved what I saw. Yeah, <laughs> I loved what I saw so far. So I, I definitely anticipate that'll be a very good uh, holiday watch uh, for when I've got a little more free time. Yeah. So yeah, let's just jump into our, our top five. And I think we can kind of do our each of our, our number five together because they're actually from the same show. Yeah, it's true. So, yeah, you mentioned it earlier, but Girls 5 Eva, um, well, you go first. Who's, who's your number five uh, funniest performance of the year? I mean, yours is also one that I loved, <laughs> uh, but Busy Phillips just specifically all of her facial acting in this show really did just utterly destroy me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's great. Um, so yeah, yours is Busy Phillips and mine is uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry, um, who people may have known from Hamilton before Girls 5 Eva and had not really done a ton of comedy that I'd seen. Um, and I always love it when someone who is really not from the comedy world just shows up, um, you know, and, and does something so funny like this. And I think she really stood out. You know, when I saw the the actors who were on the show, Busy Phillips, Paula Pell, Sarah Bareilles, and Renee Elise Goldsberry are the four uh the four women in, in Girls 5 Eva, you know, I would have thought that most of the comedy would have fallen to Paula Pell and Busy Phillips, mm -hmm. and certainly they get a lot of laughs, but the other two are just great and so funny as well. So I was just really impressed. Everyone really holds their own in this show in a way that I really enjoy. It's, it's an ensemble show in a way that is really, really fun. And yeah, I think, you know, Renee Elise Goldberry as this diva character is just fantastic. And then also just watching Busy play this sort of like she just reminded me so much of like the real housewives almost like it just felt like especially like watching real housewives of orange county must have been part of like the quote-unquote research for this role she just does such a fantastic job again like i think uh, the theme of this podcast is going to be that i'm a huge fan of anybody who just commits to a role and i think that is what everyone here does but especially especially busy and renee uh elise goldberry are just doing the most in this show in the best way. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why the show works, um, so it's, you know, Tina Fey created it. And then her husband, Jeff Richmond, I believe is responsible for either all of or most of the, the music in the show, yeah, the songs. And the songs are so good. Like I really had, I had the theme song to the show in my head for weeks after watching it. I really couldn't get that out of my head. And then the other song that I have to shout out because I'm obsessed is New York Lonely Boy, which mm, is yes. um, just just a gem of a song that really captures something that as as someone who, you know, I lived in New York for a while and, and feel like I, I understand that to some degree. I, I don't think I didn't grow up in New York, so I don't think I can be considered a New York Lonely Boy, but... Uh, <laughs> But I you definitely, I, I felt it. You felt it. Yeah, no, that, is, that song is fantastic. The concept is fantastic. The execution is fantastic. It's all just, it's really, I think New York Lonely Boy might be my favorite. Although I do have to cop to like the, the theme song itself. I believe one of my most embarrassing moments of the year came when I definitely at one point while pitching this show to like a cab driver, I distinctly <laughs> remember at one point singing the theme song like as a, as part of my case for watching the show and to be fair he did say he would watch it but i think retrospectively the show's comedic energy might have been too infectious in that moment to me <laughs> hey, 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 it's us girls five ever girls five ever Well, I hope that whoever that cab driver is, he's out there listening to this podcast right now. And it's a, it's a reminder <laughs> to check out Girls 5 Eva, which, uh, yeah, which everyone, if you if you missed it, because I feel like, you know, it got, a, it got a lot of attention, but then it kind of disappeared or flew a little bit under the radar. And it's also probably because it's on Peacock and it, people it don't know Peacock how to see it. Out. And yeah. 
No one knows that. Well, and it's also just, I feel like it came out when there were a lot of releases, if I remember correctly. Yeah, like, it came it out during one of those time. sort of release floods where it's, you know, found to be something that fell through the cracks. But yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. I love it very much. Yeah, those weeks when too many shows come out is like a unique problem that people like you and me have, whose job it is to watch TV mostly. So I think, uh, I don't. I wonder if everyone else sees that as, a big of, as big of a problem as we do. Maybe, maybe not. But regardless, <laughs> the point is... Forever is too short. They must be famous five ever. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So let's go now to your number four. Yes. I chose Nicole Byer both for her first hour long stand up special, BBW, Big Beautiful Weirdo. Uh, and yes. her appearance, she's been in appearing in Duca and Birdie since the first season, but she had one specific appearance in this uh, in season two since it moved over to Adult Swim that for whatever reason just really tickled me and uh, a friend of mine have literally just been reciting two of her lines back and forth <laughs> to each other for months since this show came out. So I felt for that alone, the line delivery being good enough that I'm still thinking about it, it had to be up there. There's just something about her energy as a performer, I think, in everything she does. But her special was really great. Uh, she goes all over the place with topics from having a nurse maybe, possibly, definitely seems like it, try to steal her underwear. <laughs> and also, like, what, distinct, what distinguishes a regular Karen from the ultimate Karen? She's just, she's just delightful to watch. And I truly think she's one of those people who like to use the cliche, could read a phone book, and I would probably sit there laughing. <laughs> but as I watch these videos, I realize that there's only really, like, three levels of a Karen. The first level, she's a little indignant. She's like, yes, I told that brown woman to go back to her brown country. What of it? <laughs> Second level, she's a little angrier. She's like, yes, I told that brown woman to go back to her brown country. Also, I think she's shoplifting because I saw a twinkle in her eye. No, I don't work here. No, I've never shopped here. Also, are these khakis on sale? <laughs> The third level, I call this the ultimate Karen. She's found in a grocery store. She's throwing shit out of her shopping cart. She's like, yes, I told that brown woman to go back to her brown country. No, I don't eat raisins. They look like old black people. <laughs> I was really excited because we had her on this podcast back in August. Um, and I think that was around when she was on her Emmy campaign for nailed it on netflix which is her other mm -hmm. you know thing that people probably know her of from course. most um because now they've done six seasons of nailed it which is insane to me but she was but just so fun <laughs> yeah but she was i mean just the fact that they it's been on that long i can't believe it but she was so fun to talk to and just yeah i mean is so funny just in conversation i think she's, she's just one of those people who can't not be funny she really does i think she's sort of one of those performers i think sort of in the same vein as like almost a jason mansukas where it's just people can just you can just kind of plopper in anything even for like five minutes and it'll work kind of thing. yeah thinking of her on um the good place uh she was so yes, good on that that's, that's so exactly good. what i was thinking yeah. of actually is when she's playing the uh post office the postal worker in the in the good place yeah she's great and i'm, I'm really just thrilled for her that she got her first hour special finally because i think that was overdue for sure like there are are a lot of comedians who have already had multiple hour-long specials who uh, who don't deserve it as much as she does. Not that anyone doesn't deserve it, but you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> the flip side of that sort of like annoying, the sort of flip side of that annoying coin is that because she is way overdue, she's so sort of like overprepared for it. Like it's just, it is far. It is such a good debut special. So it was just pleasure to watch beginning to end. I remember reading something about just people falling out of their chairs laughing while they watched it and thinking there's no way that'll, tr that'll actually happen. And I did, I did, I did not <laughs> fall, but I laughed pretty hard. <laughs> nice. Great. Well, yeah. So, so let's go to my number four. This is also a Netflix thing that really got me this year. Um, and I picked uh, Tiffany Haddish in Bad Trip. Did you see Bad Trip, Laura? I actually have not, no, Ooh. but it is on my list. You were, you were in luck. <laughs> I'm jealous of you that you have not seen it. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, first of all, I, it was supposed to premiere at South by Southwest, I think in 2020, although I'm not, I could be wrong about that, but one of, it was something where it was going to premiere at a big theater that was really fun and we were all going to go and laugh and have this, you know, cathartic experience because it's this very 
it's almost like it reminded me of Borat in a way because it's uh, Eric Andre's movie where he it's a sort of a prank movie, but it's all, you know, interacting with real people. But like like unlike sort of, you know, more prank movies that like Jackass and those things, there is a real there's a story, which is what reminded me of Borat because there's a he's telling a, a narrative story. But throughout it are these pranks. Um, and I think it would have been a really fun movie to see with a big crowd. But of course, um, I think I, like many people, saw it on Netflix, which was also really fun to watch it by myself. But um, <laughs> but I think it would have been more fun with a crowd. But it's it's really great. And he's great in it. And uh, Lil Rel Howery plays his, his friend in it. But then there's this performance by Tiffany Haddish who kind of comes in, um, you know, partway through the film and really just like blows it up uh she plays an escaped uh convict and there's this scene where she basically emerges from under a prison bus and then gets a pedestrian bystander to help her escape which is quite a prank i would say oh man you see any guards out here or anything Take your ass off. You better take off. You better fucking, you better run. Man, I'm gonna get my car and I'm gonna go to Mexico and I'm gonna just start all over, man. Get those clothes off and get the fuck out of here. Can I borrow your vest? I can't give you my vest. You my lookout. I never forget a face. Go. Thank you for helping me escape. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely a feat. It's funny, Tiffany Haddish, obviously, also being in Tuca and Birdie would be sort of high yes. on my list as well. She's, I yeah. mean... I mean, she does like like 15 projects every year at this point. I, I like. do see, she always does seem to be very booked and busy, which is what you want. <laughs> no, she, and she and I think she's also like kind of moved into, She's. I think she's trying to move into drama somewhat because she's in, speaking of Oscar Isaac, uh, in uh, The Card Counter this year, where she plays a more dramatic role. That. But for me, I still think this the acting that she's doing in this bad trip movie, because she has to improvise, because she's acting with real people most of the time, it's so impressive when people can do that. And I think she does it so well um, in this movie. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you to to be able to check it out for the first time because it's it's insane. It's one of the things that made me laugh by far the hardest of anything this year, um, that movie. So I wanted to shout out uh, Tiffany Haddish specifically. Another thing to vault to the top of my list. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a great, you know, over the holidays, just like uh, <laughs> dig in. Um, cool. So I think we are on your number three. Yes. Uh, and that would be Jamie Dornan in Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, one of the aforementioned titles I cannot believe came out this year. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, really, it's just, we have to start with Edgar's Prayer, the song that he sings, mostly to seagulls on the beach, just about how bereft and lost he feels. Burning like my blood's in a pan on a stove and it's heating me up to the max. So I'm running my legs just as fast as I can to the left, to the right. I'm a frustrated man. Now I'm flicking my tiptoes to kick up the sand because I can't understand all this fire that's raging inside me. Seagulls in the sand, can you hear my prayer? I keep trying, but I'm getting nowhere. It's in a fog, I'm under her spell. Am I in heaven or am I in hell? I am in general a sucker for a lovable oaf. It is one of my favorite tropes. He plays it so well. Uh, essentially, he is working as the henchman for Kristen Wiig is also playing the villain in addition to Star, I believe. And so <laughs> I can never get it straight. But she, uh, he runs into them. His whole life gets very complicated by the fact he's in love with a villain who will not be part of an official couple with him. And now he meets these vivacious women from the Midwest. And uh, just pretty much everything about his performance and specifically how needy this guy is. I really just, it, it makes me very happy. Well, I feel like if your homework is watching Bad Trip, uh, mine is watching Barb and Star go to Vistel Del Mar because I still haven't seen it. Um, I feel like I was, when it came out, I was kind of like waiting. Like I, I was, I wanted to like save it for the right moment. And by the right moment, I mean like 
seemed like very late at night and very stoned. Um, yes, that, that would be the moment. <laughs> and since I, as I said, I, as the aforementioned, uh, baby that I have at home, I feel like has, uh, prevented that from happening in, in quite the way that I would, I would want, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to find the time to, you know, just really, uh, get into Barb and Star because I'm, I'm a huge fan of, uh, Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo. And I feel like now it's been so built up in my imagination that I don't even know what to expect. I feel like it will definitely still live up to the hype. And also, <laughs> even if you're not able to schedule yourself like a good weed window to watch this movie, I feel like even even without that, it would still be <laughs> very, very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that this is one that is like, yeah, as you said, I can't believe it came out this year. I can't believe this movie got made um, from everything that I can I can see. You know, and <laughs> it's impressive that they were able to, you know, I guess it's a testament to our new streaming world that a movie like this can can even exist because i don't think i can't imagine that it would have um done that well at the box office but i don't know maybe i'm wrong i really don't know either it's you know part of me wants to say but the Kristen wig of it but you know who honestly yeah. who knows i mean when, when, but... when west side story is bombing at the box office i i don't <laughs> i can't imagine Right, right. I can't pretend to have any clue how this would have done at the box office. Also, just because it's such a deliriously weird movie, like I have no idea, but it is certainly worth it. And uh, Jamie Darnan truly uh, deserves a gold medal. Just A plus work here. <laughs> All right. So now we can go to my number three, which is a performance from another show that I just absolutely love this year, which was uh, Reservation Dogs. Did you get a chance to see any of that show? I actually did just start watching it over the weekend. So I think I wound up watching like half of it because oh, yeah. Of, yeah, a friend of mine uh, put it on while she was over and I have since wound up just diving into it. It's so yeah, good. It's so good. It's like, yeah, this, so for anyone who doesn't know, Reservation Dogs is this, you know, half hour comedy from Sterling Harjo, who's a Native American filmmaker who's made a lot of indie films. And this is his first TV show. It's on FX on Hulu, which is no longer called FX on Hulu, I think, but we can figure that out later. But uh, he made it with Taika Waititi, so you can kind of see his fingerprints on it as well and some of the comedy, I think. Um, but it's this it's a really, really incredible show, I think. Really funny, really deep, interesting, and, and different from anything else that's been on TV. So I feel a little bit bad because the, the performance I'm picking from it is not one of the main uh, Native American uh, actors on the show. It's um, the comedian Bobby Lee, who shows up in one episode, I believe it's the second episode, as the doctor at the reservation clinic. And I just, I have to be honest and say that this this performance just made me laugh harder than almost anything else this year. So I, I couldn't leave it off the list. But he, uh, Bobby Lee is a, a Mad TV alum. He's a stand-up uh, comedian. And there's a bunch of uh, comedians and, and stand-ups kind of sprinkled throughout the show. But he, as this doctor who kind of does it all, um, he calls himself the everything doctor. Uh, he is so funny. Um, and just interacting with these teenagers uh, really, really killed me. So, yeah, I, I think... <laughs> It's just, uh, it was, it, I, I recommend this show to everyone. And if they are hesitant, I, I, I tell them to start with, uh, with this episode because it's, it's too good. It's just, it, you, I feel like you have to see it. So you got beat up. Actually, I got jumped. It's cause I'm the leader of a gang, sort of the leader, you know, big responsibilities. Yeah. Wait till you get older. Life gets much harder. Look at me. You think I like having this job? You think I wanted to be out here this long? 10 fucking years. I don't have a family, I got nothing. Don't get me wrong, I love the Native American people. Very sweet, majestic, very special. I'm trying to grow this out, I'm sick of it. I just wanna go back from where I'm from. China? No, you shit. I grew up in San Diego. I'm Korean, not Chinese, what the? Oh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean anything like that. Are you Navajo or Inuit? Neither. Okay then. It's really good. And I mean, the other performer that I, in sort of the amount that I've seen, am really, really into is Paulina Alexis, who plays Willie Jack. So good. So good. Right. It just such a great performance, sort of such a great combination of humor and acid, which I really love. Just 
kind of like a really bitter but also funny performance. It's just it's all really good. But I, I find feel Paulina like all, really... all the kids on the show are kind of like just instant stars, I think. And I really can't wait to see what they do next. Um, in addition to what I, I'm assuming that there's going to be more of the show coming out. Um, and it didn't uh, it, it missed the I think missed the Emmy cutoff this year. But then they all uh, presented at the Emmys, which was really fun to see that. And I would guess that they're going to be uh hopefully get some nominations next year. I hope um, so. They're, they would be like, really well deserved. Yeah. seems like people are into the show and it's, it's great that it's gotten as much attention as, as it has, because I think since there's so much TV, as we said, things sometimes fly under the radar, but I feel like this show has gotten its due to some degree at least. Um, so yeah. And it's, it's not only really funny, but it's also just, and you'll see as you keep watching, it just gets really, intense at times and dark at times and um and so that that actress that you that you mentioned um also gets to do some some really great drama later in the season um oh, which really is cool to see yeah um so yeah reservation dogs um cool so now we are at number two for you gotta be jillian anderson from the great oh yeah we talked about the great last year i think because uh you had we uh, we did. I had Nicholas Holt in my top and I almost had Elle Fanning for this just because I do have to shout out her performance as well. I feel like it, everybody on this show has really been doing top notch work from the beginning. Obviously I think so since I put it on the list last year, but I do think that Elle Fanning's performance gets a little more complicated and thorny and really interesting as Catherine the Great is pregnant. But I think the comedic performance that really runs away with everything is Jillian Anderson, who plays her mother, Joanna, who shows up at court in a skirt that I want to say is about the width of six Jillian Andersons. <laughs> uh, literally, actually, when I interviewed Nicholas Holt about working on the show this season, he mentioned that they would be blocking scenes and people would be like, OK, and then you walk this way. And Jillian Anderson would be like, I physically cannot do that. The skirt <laughs> will prevent me. But uh, just beyond the sort of physical comedy of her navigating court in the skirt, she is essentially just angry at her daughter for ruining her plan to marry all her daughters to monarchs. Because guess <laughs> what? When one of your daughters has overthrown her husband, future potential husbands are a little less interested uh, in the yes, rest of your daughters. Yes. Uh, and she uh, takes this anger out on Catherine, essentially by just relentlessly pursuing her husband. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and even though this is a semi-historical account, leave out how that ends for people who haven't seen it. Yeah, no, but, no uh, spoilers for Catherine the Great story, I think. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> well, I mean, the show as it tells you in its opening does sort of play fast and loose with history. So mm, like the yes, amount yes. of sort of the amount we can trace back to actual history. But uh for the sake of not spoiling anybody, I will not say how that ends, but <laughs> it is a short performance. She does not stay at court too long, but her visit is uh quite impactful and just incredibly funny from beginning to end. How was your trip? How was my trip? What a sparkling conversational gambit. Thank you. Did you find any tasty morsels on the journey? Calcots are in season. Often they just grow wild by the roadside and when grilled... I'm done. He is interminable. What? Mother. I don't think you understood the throwing and catching of the capes. Is he still talking? You could have at least cut out his tongue if you weren't going to kill him. And obviously, Gillian Anderson's also doing hilarious work in sex education. Oh, so getting yeah. to see That's her another be, show. Yeah. So good. It, especially this year. I just so I mean, getting, you know, getting to see her be funny in another space, in another era, in some very funny costumes is always a delight and a treat. Yeah. Her her pregnant performance in sex education was, was oh pretty God. exciting. Yeah. She's she's so good. I mean, yeah, it's been a big couple of years for her, right? I mean, between the crown, um, yeah, and sex education and this show, she works a lot. Yeah, yeah. Really, you know, really going places, this little known actress, Julie Anderson. Now I kind of feel bad not putting anyone from sex education on my list, but there were so many good, good performances. The actress who plays Amy on that show's name is Amy Lou Wood, uh, is so funny. Um, and she's someone else who's kind of gotten to do a little bit of drama on the show, but it's just so funny every time she's on screen. So yeah, I, I really, I really love that show. And that's another sort of comfort TV this year, I thought it was a, a feel good experience uh, that we all need. <laughs> There's a growing sort of category in my brain that I just call empathy TV and sex education is definitely That's a like, great term. It's empathy TV and I really enjoy it. 
uh, and that's, you know, not a mark of corniness or anything. It's a really good, just very human show that is both very, as you said, uh, can be very funny and also very dramatic, which, yeah. you know, it's the shows where no, there are no villains, you know, even the villains are sympathetic. Like, um, you know, I think of Downton Abbey that way is a, is a good mm-hmm. example where everyone's kind of just good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is even a very even good the way people who aren't it. good, you're right. Or there's like occasionally there's a character who's like so evil that like it's it's ridiculous. But then they just like <laughs> are only there for a little bit and then they go away. But everyone who yeah. we really get to know are, are good people. But yeah, I like empathy TV. I feel like this could be a, a new genre that and trademark it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Coming up, more of our picks for the funniest performances of the year including the standout from Succession Season 3 and a certain revolutionary Netflix special. Stick around. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. We have had so many hilarious guests on the show this year, including Sarah Cooper, Nathan Lane, Busy Phillips, David Allen Greer, and more. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to those episodes and everything else from our free archive, and you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to the show. Who was your uh, second pick? My number two. Oh, this is someone who really I really enjoyed this year. So um, my number two is uh, Megan Stalter on Hacks, who plays Kayla, the assistant on Hacks, which is uh, just this great. HBO Max show that came out this past year from some of the co-creators of Broad City, which is another show that I love. But Megan Stalter is this comedian who really blew up on Instagram and doing these sort of really, you know, great short videos and got a lot of attention for that um, as these sort of snapshot characters. She's done things like uh, Someone Who Lives in New York is one that I really liked. And then recently, and then uh, a woman who doesn't realize she's joined a cult. Um, and these, <laughs> these was, little, yes. uh, these little, you know, snapshot moments of people that she does. But then she created this character, Kayla, who's a Hollywood assistant um, on Hacks uh, and mostly playing off of Paul W. Downs, who co-created the show. Um, and he plays Agent Jimmy, her manager. Um, and she's she's so funny and just every time she's on screen she was she was cracking me up and she she just has such a specific style and 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 approach that i feel like did with that part um something that that no one else ever could have kayla Mm -hmm. what is in this coffee half and half and sugar well splenda okay a couple of splendas that's not sugar it's all chemicals and i take natural sugar yeah brain (laughs) all right all right (laughs) Um, is your phone ringing or something? I don't know. Let's find out. Jimmy Lusak Jr.'s office. Jimmy speaking. It's funny because it's sort of Kayla is this almost can't call her incompetence because it doesn't even seem like she strives for competence. Oh, that is a very good point. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that to me is like how I would define the character. Like she's not even really concerned with being good at her job. She's just on another planet where she's just like at this office to hang out with Paul W. Downs' character and like sit in on his calls and make comments instead of taking notes like she's supposed to. Like, yeah. And I think the backstory just- is that like her dad 
co-owns the agency yeah. or something or that's what he says like at the very yeah. beginning like her dad owns half the company or something because like somebody's like can't you fire like you shouldn't you fire so he's like i can't <laughs> yeah i mean that's a good example of the writers coming up with a reason why she can't be fired and has to be there because <laughs> otherwise it would make any sense and i think that's also a great example her performance is really great in that show but it's also such a great example of building a character with every tool in your arsenal because also the costume design even just the production design looking at her desk and all of the tchotchkes on her desk like every aspect of this character is sort of very specific and well-conceived and like clearly has been thought about so her sort of appearances are always like you know you remember them (laughs) yeah i mean she's someone who as i said you know kind of got really famous on social media and then got this opportunity and just it was great to see how much she succeeded at it because i feel like sometimes that works out sometimes it doesn't you know (laughs) no absolutely it's it is like you say it's it's always interesting to see when people are discovered from social media sort of how they navigate the sort of more formalized and uh, corporate aspects of the industry once they're in it. Uh, And she seems to be really hitting the ground running with it. So I'm also very curious to see where she goes because she's definitely going somewhere. Yeah. Someone else to shout out is uh, uh, Blair Erskine, who really blew up last year um, and with with her uh, Twitter videos and everything. And now she's a writer on Jimmy Kimmel Live and has appeared on screen a couple of times, sort of doing what she does on Twitter, but on TV, um, which I would say it, it probably, I still think it's funnier on Twitter, but uh, but she's great. And um, I really, really enjoy her. And I think she's she's having a blast uh, writing for for Jimmy Kimmel. So it's good to see. It's, you know, best case scenario for these endings, right? <laughs> Just. <laughs> All right. We're already at our number ones. So um, why don't you go first? And, and uh, this one is, is one that I'm excited to talk about. So what's your what's your number one performance, <laughs> funniest performance of the year? In some ways, the opposite of Empathy TV. Oh, yes. Like. That's uh, a good point. But uh, Matthew McFadden on Succession has been so hilarious beginning to end as Tom. But this season specifically, I just feel like he's on a whole other level, both in terms of the increasingly explicit uh, homoerotic bond between him and Greg, and also just his, especially in the front half of the season, I could not stop laughing when he was obsessing over the prison blogs and just dejectedly reading Shiv's passages about like burping toilet wine yeah. and just bereftly <laughs> being like, what, what if I forget to burp the toilet wine? And it's just... It is so good. And again, I don't sort of want to spoil where the back end of the season goes for people who haven't gotten there yet, but he's just doing next level yeah, work. I would say that the <laughs> conclusion of the season had Tom Tom involved, um, and that was a more dramatic moment. But yeah, earlier in the season, he was so funny. And yeah, the when he's that scene where he's opening the wine that they have commissioned or something and, <laughs> and describing that and then and didn't he say that it has like a very uh agricultural taste i believe is it like they're just using all of these euphemisms before he's just like it's not very good it's it. it's not very good is it so you want to try mm-hmm. it's the spettbergender our vineyard oh screw top oh Black and brown avatars to smear. Do you hear Boyer's losing juice now? Uh huh. In the Democratic Party. So it's biodynamic. Has quite a funk to it. Engineered by the DNC and the MSM in conjunction with their big tech overlords. Now, the rest of us. You kind of have to meet it halfway, right? It's. You know, it's. Earthy. Yeah. Kind of Germanic. Yeah, there's lots to unpack. It's it's not it's not floral, it's not sugary or vegetal. It's 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 quite agricultural, you know. No, no, it's not, Tom. That scene, the scene in the uh, in the diner or in the Denny's or wherever they're supposed to be, where or he get he gets two scenes in there, right? One with uh, one with Greg and and one with Kendall. Um, yeah, everything about the prison food. Yeah, he's he's so funny. I feel like yeah, he he's always he's often paired with with Greg, and so I feel like it was always like 
we always thought about Tom and Greg together, which they still they still are, and I think there's still potential for that to continue uh, into the into the next season. But oh but yeah, also, I think Nero and Sporus are sticking together to the yeah, bitter end in yeah. this thing, aren't they? I think, I think so. I think that's what's happening. I um, actually uh, someone made a Twitter video of a certain moment between them in the finale and overlaid it with Celine Dion's "My Heart Will Go On," and when I tell you, it works so well. <laughs> Do you want a deal with the government? What am I going to do with a soul anyways? Souls are born. (laughs) Boo, soul. (laughs) Of course. I've just become obsessed with, I think, Matthew as a performer this season specifically because I think he works the best. He sort of does this thing where I feel as though he can act in metaphors. Like that scene with the wine is a perfect example of they're talking about the wine, but they're also very clearly talking about their marriage. And he, I think, is so good at doing scenes where there's that kind of element of double entendre and it works so well. Or even, you know, the scene with him and Kendall at that Denny is where Kendall is being so condescending to him and like, oh, congratulations, you married my sister and you're at the big seat of the table. I have some notes about you or whatever. And Tom's just like, oh, well, I have notes as well. Mine might be more extensive. It's just, he's so good at sort of playing every nuance of sort of how his character is approaching and thinking about a situation, which I mean, all of them are. That's why they're here. But I think with him specifically, the humor can often come out in those moments in a way that is really stunning to watch. Well, I did appreciate how your uh, the headline for your um, final succession uh, recap was that Tom got the last laugh, which I feel like was some sort of viral marketing for this podcast. So, uh, so thank you for that. Unintentional. I think you like <laughs> inceptioned that into my brain. The existence of this inceptioned <laughs> that into my brain. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, um, are you, without spoiling too much, uh, where do you, or do you have, um, do you have hopes or or dreams about where succession might go in, in season four? I do. I think it's really time to dig in on Connor, who it's funny because I said this to a friend yesterday and they were like, I just don't know how much there is to dig in there. And I'm like, oh, no, there's so much. I mean, I just think it's been really fascinating this season to see how he essentially, it sounds like, was forced to step in and do a lot of the emotional work that their dad wouldn't do and be emotionally available to his siblings in the way almost that, say, another parent would have been. And I feel like he sort of got forced into an almost maternal role to them, which in this sort of misogynistic world of this show leads to him being dismissed, not only because he's an asshole and an idiot, because honestly, all of them are. That's not really a disqualifier among Roy children. I think it's that he took care of them and actually was emotionally available to them. So I'm really curious to see, given that they brought up the fly fishing trip a couple times, I feel as though that's sort of hinting toward the fact that there's more to dig in with Connor, specifically with events that happened sort of before the show took place. Yeah. And he is the eldest son. He is the eldest son. He is son. the eldest son, poor thing. He's the <laughs> eldest son. I just love also that it seems as though, I mean, actually, I won't get into it, but just his entire interaction with Willa in the finale is also just so priceless <laughs> so to me. Yeah. Her reactions to everything that he says and does are are perfect. She's gotten kind of protective of him, this, of him this season, which I think, again, sort of ties into the extent to which this family, I mean, everybody in this family gets abused. It's literally the point. But like, I do feel as though the mistreatment he has experienced is very targeted and specific. And Willa has sort of over time with this family realized that. And she's sort of starting to warm up to him, if nothing else, because she feels so sorry for him. Yeah. And she just wants him to be able to wear his jacket, you know? <laughs> that was a great scene. She <laughs> needed to fuck off. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm hoping that they, uh, that they really finally, after teasing us with it, uh, dig in even more to this political stuff, um, and that Justin Kirk's character, uh, becomes a bigger part of, of season four. Um, I feel as, as the, though he's, uh, ge- he has to, otherwise it would be very strange to sort of have that episode in the middle of the season. It seems indicative of the fact this is definitely going to be a big thread going forward. Yeah, I'm excited. We're going to have a long wait, I assume, but I'm I'm excited for when it finally happens. Um, and we are finally at my number one, which I really, there was really no one else I could pick, I, I feel like. And it's uh, it's Bo Burnham uh, in his 
incredible Netflix special inside, which is something that it sort of, I had heard rumblings that it was coming out and that it was really good, or it was just really different. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. I was a fan of Bo Burnham vaguely. Like I thought he, I enjoyed some of the stuff that he had done. And, um, you know, I, I enjoyed him in, uh, in his acting in promising young woman and, uh, and a few other things, but I had no idea what to, ex what was going to come with this special, um, where he just the the sheer amount of work that I feel like went into it was what really impressed me um that he did this this special all by himself in one room uh you know just with seemingly with no one no help no one around and pulled off something that that was really special and I can't stop thinking about and um even re-listen to some of the songs from time to time and it really uh it's both really funny and really dark um which is often what I think I respond to um and it just it it really it really got me and really connected with me um and I've, I've yeah I've watched it a couple times now um did you have a did you have any similar reaction different reaction I know it, it's kind of it, I think there's some divisiveness about it but oh I really enjoyed it I I did see sort of like some of the the discourse about it so as it were but I I mean I overall really liked it I I was kind of wondering I was sitting here trying to think it's one of those projects that I think came out long enough ago that I'm trying to remember but I was sitting here like trying to remember whether I wanted to laugh or cry more while watching it I was like huh was it the funniest was it did I because yeah, I remember I it making me really bummed yeah. mostly. <laughs> I know people are probably like that's what you think was the funniest but well I are, mean listen yeah. I chose I chose a guy going to prison on succession so like I get it but like, <laughs> we, we both went kind of dark with our number ones I think you know it's been a dark year okay yeah, uh <laughs> stay tuned for the follow-up with our therapist but it's like you know <laughs> I think that uh, I think the thing about Inside that I also found really interesting from a production standpoint is that obviously Bo Burnham has been doing so much work with light and with sort of these setups that when you put him in a situation where all you have is a room artistically, he actually was really able to turn that into something that I don't think anybody else really was prepared like to sort of, do, you know what I mean? It's just sort of one of those like moments where the skills aligned with the moment in a way that I don't, you know, I think regardless of sort of how quote unquote genius you think it is, or sort of like, you know, what you think of that aspect of the conversations around it, the execution is something that is really phenomenal just to look at and experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there are sort of too many moments to highlight in it. One that I, I think about a lot is his, uh, song is owed to Jeffrey Bezos, um, mm -hmm. where he's just uh, shouting, you did it and, uh, congratulations. This is something that I feel like he was he was doing that before Bezos even went to space. So that was um, I think he was he, he saw something there. Um, but yeah, that that's a great one. Um, and then just yeah, everything the way the, just the way that he sums up what it's like to be online all the time. I was going like to say everything be, all the time. Yeah, everything like, all is... the time is one of those things that that's gonna that's gonna resonate for a long time. And I feel like you know he he describes something that we all feel, uh, in a way that, that we maybe couldn't have ourselves, which I think is what great comedians do. Yeah, no, I think it was really brilliant. And it's, this is, this conversation is actually making me want to rewatch it a little bit just so I can be like, huh, how do I feel about it now? That I've Yeah. It's as dark as it is, as intense it is. I think it is very rewatchable and you can rewatch it in sections on YouTube, which is fun too. Cause uh, a lot of it is, is up there for people to see as well. Um, cause it is kind of long to watch all at once. Um, <laughs> and, and intense if you want to, a you're little not, bit emotionally not, involved. Yeah. If you're not ready to like, you know, dig deep inside yourself for 90 minutes. But 
I also, um, you know, think it's, it's great that he has, uh, not done one bit of press, one interview about it. I think it's, it's great for him. It's, it's not great for me because I've wanted to have him on the show for, um, I was going to say, that's a really surprising thing for you to say. I, feel I know like. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be generous. I understand it. I respect his decision to let the work speak for itself. And I think he can only, I'm not sure he can improve anyone's opinion of it or, or give us that much more insight into it by talking about it. So I get it. I get why he's doing it, but I, I would love to have a conversation with him about it at some point, even if it's many years from now. So we'll <laughs> we'll see if that ever happens. But he has been very disciplined about not giving any interviews, not talking about it, really staying out of the spotlight in the many months since it came out. So it's been interesting. And then... Well, fingers crossed he's less disciplined in 2022 and you get to have that yes, conversation. Yes. Yeah. Maybe he'll get bored in 2022 and he'll uh, want to come on the show. You never know. <laughs> Omicron is real. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, those are our lists. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else that you want to shout out or highlight or, or say about this, this year that is now coming to an end? Uh, <laughs> Not to put you on the spot or anything. Only that I am very curious to watch the rest of and just like that, which I actually have not yet dug into past the episodes that have aired. Oh, me neither. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've watched the first two, but that's it. I think, yeah, the, um, that Peloton ad, uh, that, that Mr. Big did was, uh, that, that could be on a list of funniest performances. That was uh, pretty out there. <laughs> I mostly was baffled by the response to fi- like, the slowness to call 911. Yes. <laughs> the yes. slowness with which we have not called 911. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, Jonah Hill got ahead of that one. Uh, he put that on Instagram. Why, why didn't Carrie call 911, which uh, got people really talking. But yeah, that was my, my first thought was Big could have called 911. Carrie could have called 911. Neither, neither one did. So I was literally just screaming that at my TV. <laughs> I'm glad to know that Jonah Hill and I are on the same page about this. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I'll be I'll be curious to see where that show goes. It's a uh, it's I would say it was partly enjoyable and partly the the cringiest thing I've ever seen. Um, That's so. about where I'm at with it. Yeah. <laughs> What about you? Anything you'd like to shout out? Looking forward to? Um, I mean, there's, there's. I feel like there's a lot to look forward to. A lot of stuff coming out. You know, in the next uh, few months, the return of a uh, search party. I'm excited for uh, the return of the Righteous Gemstones. I'm excited for. Oh my God! Yes. So I feel like there's some some fun stuff uh, coming up in the near future, and yeah, there's there's always new comedy coming out to surprise us that we don't even know is happening yet. So also true. We can all look forward to that. Well, uh, Laura, thank you so much for doing this. And um, yeah, this was this was a lot of fun. And we'll just keep watching. Keep watching stuff. <laughs> that's that's all we do. <laughs> that's literally our me. jobs. Okay. Have a great holiday. I'll talk to you soon. Talk soon. But it'll be over soon. You All right, before we get out of here, I want to thank Laura Bradley for joining me on today's show and all of the many incredible comedian guests we had on the podcast this year. And thanks to all of you for listening. It really means a lot, and I can't wait to bring you all new episodes in the new year. If you want to support The Last Laugh at the end of this year, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes, and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. We've got some more special surprises over the next couple of weeks, and then we will be back with some great new guests in 2022. See you then. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 